Thanks for joining us for the conclusion of the message, When the Glory of the Lord Fills the House. 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verses 1-14 through 14. Pastor Tim states, Wonderful things really do happen when the glory of the Lord fills the house of God. It's not business as usual, that's for sure. When God's manifest presence becomes the hallmark characteristic of a church or an individual who himself is the temple of the Holy Spirit, God does amazing work. Here's Pastor Tim. Then I guess secondly, or number five, if you're keeping a full list, you'll find his mighty power. When the glory of the Lord fills the house, you will find his mighty power. The Ark of the Covenant was not just a visible reminder of his presence. It was a visible reminder of his power. And other people knew it as well. It's a great story in 1 Samuel chapter number 4. Well, I say it's a great story. It doesn't start out so hot because the, uh, the army of Israel is being defeated by the Philistines. In fact, 4,000 Hebrews fell that day on that battlefield. And then somebody finally wises up and says, let's go get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it in here to the camp. So they do it rightly. They, they bring the Ark of the Covenant in. And when the army of Israel sees the presence of God, when they, when they see and recognize that with his presence also comes power, the Bible says that they just begin to shout. They're shouting joyfully to the Lord who now is there among them. That's wonderful and that's fantastic, but that's all backstory. That's not what I want to draw your attention to. What I want to draw your attention to in that story is how the Philistines thought about it. The Bible says that, uh, that one of the Philistines said, what does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? You know, why are they shouting? I mean, they, they sound like they're shouting out of joy. Why are they shouting out of joy? They're 4,000 of their brethren laying dead out here in the field. What, what, what do they have to shout about? Then the Bible says this. Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they hightailed it out of there. It was the power of God that was on display. The presence of God brings about the power of God. And you and I need to recognize, if the Philistines can recognize that, we need to recognize that. If the glory of the Lord fills the house, then we recognize and know it is His presence that's here that's making the difference. And if it's His presence here, we have His power. He gives us victory over temptation. He brings about salvation of the lost. He brings about restoration of relationships. Those are things that only God can do. And His power is active in the place where His glory dwells. So you should expect to find it. Number six, when the glory of the Lord fills the house, you'll find his merciful pardon. His merciful pardon. Now, verse number six, he begins to mention the most important part of the most important thing in the temple. 
The most important thing in the temple was the Ark of the Covenant. The most important part of the Ark of the Covenant was the, the lid. It's what was referred to as the mercy seat. You see him talking about the cherubim in that passage, and it says that their wings went up. So there are two cherubim that, have, that are atop this lid or this mercy seat. And as they kneel down, their wings spread up and spread up and over to where they almost touch, right at the very center point. Remember when I'm talking about sacrificing those lambs and oxen? They'll take the blood of that sacrifice into that holy place, and on top of that mercy seat, take that blood from the very tip of those wings all the way down to the lid and just pour that blood out. What are they doing? It, it's, it's an expression. It's a picture. It's a foreshadowing of the blood of Jesus. They, they are offering a blood atonement. They're, they're asking for forgiveness. They're asking for pardon. And that's what you find. You find his merciful pardon when he's there. Now, in verse number 6, he talks about the sacrificing the sheep and the oxen. There's a multitude of people and a multitude of sins, and they, man, they, they can't hardly keep up. Here's the good news. You and I get to experience the presence and the power and the pardon of God in His house, when His glory dwells, and not one person has to bring a lamb. Not one person has to bring an ox. Not one person has to bring a turtle dove or anything else. Because the sacrifice has already been made. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice. Jesus is the propitiation of our sins. It's Jesus that this is simply looking forward to. So now that we live in this day, then we recognize and understand that there is forgiveness and pardon that's possible when God's glory fills the house. We should expect spiritual awakening. We should expect men and women and boys and girls to be convicted of their sins by the Spirit of God and then drawn to Jesus by that same Spirit of God. And to be saved. In fact, I don't know of a, of a better, uh, of any better evidence as to the manifest presence of God than people being saved. Let me give you one more while we're still in this passage discussing the ark. Number seven, when the glory of the Lord fills the house, you will find meaningful peace. Meaningful peace. We see it in the New Testament. When you have peace with God, now you can have the peace of God. It's, it's Him who gives you peace. Now, notice if you will, that in verse number 10. In verse number 10, it mentions, mentions the contents on that particular day of what's inside the Ark of the Covenant. And all it mentions at this point are those stone tablets of the law, the Ten Commandments. But you'll notice that he uses a word there. He uses the word covenant. This was the, 
not just the Ten Commandments. These aren't just the rules. This is the covenant that God made with His people through Moses, which is described at Mount Horeb as a covenant of peace. He provides you with that same covenant. I mean, think about it this way. Your sin puts you at enmity with God. What does enmity mean? It means that you're enemies. It means that you're separated, far from one another. But it's the shed blood of Jesus that reconciles that together. Paul puts it this way in the book of Ephesians. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, he's not just talking about far off from Israel. He's talking about being far off from God. Far off in that relationship with Him. Far off in being right with Him. You who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Those priests pour that blood over that mercy seat as a sign of atonement. It's also a sign of reconciliation between God and between His people. How does, how does He do that? Someone who is far away from God and now bringing them near to God. In the very next verse that Paul writes, he begins it this way. For He Himself is our peace. You know what I like about that? Is that I, I know that God gives me peace, right? Jesus says, not as the world gives do I give. I give you my peace. My peace I give to you. And he says that, he says that a number of times. He gives us his peace. <laughs> I, can, I can receive that, or I don't have to receive that. I, I, might, I might sometimes set that aside, right? I set it aside when I begin to worry. Set it aside when I begin to fret. When I, when I take things under my own control in my own hands, I, I set that aside. But God's peace is more than simply a gift that can be used or not used. The gift of God's peace is God Himself. He gives you His peace because He gives you Himself. And, and, and look at this, at the, while we're still on that subject about peace, look at the end of verse number 9, where it says, they are still there to this day. And of course, he's talking about the physical presence, and he's talking about in the, in, in the writer's perspective, as he's writing this, it's still there to this day. But God's offer of peace is still with us today. God's presence is still with us today. God's power is still available to us today. God's pardon is still available to us today. And when I begin to get a hold of that and get a hold of who God is, how can His glory not fill the house? When God's glory fills the house. Wonderful things begin to happen. All right? So we take verses 5 through 10 kind of together. That's them. So let's go back up now. We're working our way back from the bottom all the way to the top, right? So let's go to verse number 2, and we'll look at verses 2 and 3. In verse number 2, 
we, we, see that, uh, we see something else that we find in this house. When, God's, when, when God is filling the house, we find something else there. All right, look at it. Now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers and the children of Israel in Jerusalem that they might bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord up from the city of David, which is Zion. Therefore, all the men of Israel assembled together with the king at the feast, which was in the seventh month. What's important in there? God's glory fills the house. You'll find a multitude of people. You'll find a multitude of people. Solomon has called for a sacred assembly. We're, we're, we're getting in on this dedication that Solomon's going to have of the temple. He's going to dedicate the temple back to the Lord. Listen, <laughs> the dedication is not just about the building. You know, the buildings come, the buildings go. This building's going to go. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not going to last. They're going to build a second temple, and it's not going to last. And one of these days, they're going to build a third temple, which, by the way, is already in the making, right? Everything's just about ready for that. It's not about the building. It's about the people in the building. Same thing's true with us. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, about, it's about God's people. The the elders, he says in verse number 2, the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers. In verse number 3, all the men of Israel are assembled. The king is there. In verse number 4, all the elders and all the Levites are there. People from all different stations of life are gathered together at the temple for its dedication. And it's these people who get to see the glory of the Lord fill that house. You know, different family lines are gathered there. I think you're going to find a, you know, different genders, different colors, different ages, different dialects, all gathered in the same place for the same purpose. And I can't help but think about that picture that, that John gives us of in uh, Revelation number seven, chapter 7 about the, uh, about the throne room of God. John says it this way. He says, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Think what you have in Second Chronicles 5 is an early picture of what we're going to see once again in the book of Revelation. You want to see our sanctuary field? I do. But it's not going to be because we follow some particular program. I think it's simply a result of a church where God has made himself at home. He has to be the drawing factor. I, I can't be the drawing factor. And you can't either. And our service can't either. And nothing about what we do. It is the presence of God that should make the difference. Number nine. We made our way all the way to the top. Started in verse number 14. We're finishing up in verse number one. In verse number one, you find that when you, the glory of the Lord fills the house, you'll find a magnificent place. 
You know, we say that the place, the house isn't the most important part, and it's not, but it still is important, isn't it? I mean, this temple that he's talking about in Second Chronicles, it's, the, it's what David desired. And now we see what Solomon has done. It's, it's, it's what David had arranged, but it's what Solomon has accomplished. It's what David had formulated, but it's what Solomon has finished. It's, it's what David had dreamed about, but what Solomon now is dedicating. The temple was unparalleled in its beauty. Solomon's temple has been referred to as the crown jewel of Jerusalem. It's one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It's an incredible, incredible sight. So beautiful. I mentioned to you that this temple is going to go away. It's going to be destroyed. They're going to build a second temple. In Ezra chapter 3, that new temple is built. And there's some elders that are there who had seen the first temple. And after their familiarity with the first temple where God had filled the house, they look at the second temple and they weep. They weep. Let me tell you something. Sean and I were talking about this the other day. There are former places of worship. We were talking about uh, uh, Europe. Talking about um, the Northeast here in America. Um, but these days we could just as easily be talking about Georgia. The places that used to be churches, but where the glory of God has departed, and the place is not magnificent anymore, and there's not a multitude of people anymore, and there's not a merger of praise that's happening. Anymore. I think we have a magnificent place here. But its beauty is because of the presence of our beautiful, glorious Savior. Made even more beautiful when His glory is present. I'm going to tell you something. Wonderful things happen when God's glory fills the house. Whether it's Solomon's or whether it's Brit David's. See, 2 Chronicles chapter 5 is really an illustration of every believer. When the Spirit of God convicted you of your sins. And you trusted Christ and you said yes and you invited Him to give you full and abundant pardon. And He forgave you. What happened? The Spirit of God came in to indwell you, right? What, is, what does Paul say that your body is? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. In the same way that the glory of God fills the temple of Solomon, the Holy Spirit of God and His glory can fill your life. He is to indwell you. He is to fill you so that you become the most holy place. The saddest part is that every Christian is not filled with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, His glory doesn't fill their house, so to speak. They live lives of defeat and of frustration. But if they would just yield to Him, wonderful things would happen when God takes over. Let's let it be for us too.
Let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes with me. If this is really an illustration of you, does God's glory fill the house? Only you can bring that about by yielding yourself to Him, by surrendering your life to the Lord Jesus, allowing Him to have control over you. You know as well as I do that He's never going to do anything that is not the very best for you. Where His glory dwells, you find His presence. If that's true for us as individuals, it's also true for us collectively. We want the glory of God to fill this house. And let's see what He might do. Lord Jesus, we collectively, we yield to You. This is Your house and we are Your people. We surrender to Your wisdom. We surrender to Your authority. And ask You simply to do in this place what You choose to do. Why you planted us here in this spot. God, we want you to fulfill that. For each individual in this room. You have created them for a purpose. That purpose is going to be found in your presence. And it will be fulfilled through your power. Father, I pray that you would give us that face that's set like a flint to find you and to allow you to be the Lord over our very lives. Jesus, we give you these moments. We give you ourselves. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This year at Brit David, we would like to challenge you to join us in reading through the Bible in a year. This is a great and rewarding way to start your day. If you would like a copy of the reading plan, you can request a copy at churchoffice at brittdavid.org. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at brittdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Britt David Podcast.